1: I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. And this episode, it is the last of our trio of American girls this week, and let's connect the threads. This episode brings us the glitter and the gold of Consuelo Vanderbilt, daughter of Alva Vanderbilt, BFFs to our last two profilees, Jenny Jerome and this Consuelo's namesake, Consuelo Isnaga. These are pretty big shoes to fill, at least according to this Consuelo's mother, because only a duke will do. But then we have to answer, at what cost happiness? Truly, Consuelo Vanderbilt's life is the glitter and the gold. Let's investigate. investigators let's do a little refresher here we have talked about the Vanderbilts in a whole series on done and done but it's always a great idea to start with the money when Cornelius Vanderbilt remember the Commodore dies in 1877 he had an estimated 105 million dollars this is over 2.6 billion dollars today The Commodore will leave 95% of that $105 million to his eldest son, William. In the nine years from when William inherits his father's fortune into his own death, William doubles the amount his father left him. This William Vanderbilt has four sons, Cornelius Jr., William K., Frederick, and George. When William dies in 1885, he will pass his fortune on to his wife and children with the largest amounts going to his two oldest sons, Cornelius Jr. and William K. Vanderbilt. William K. Vanderbilt is the father of the Consuelo we are talking about in this episode, Consuelo Vanderbilt. His brother, Cornelius Jr., would eventually become the grandfather of Gloria Vanderbilt. George Vanderbilt, another one of those Vanderbilt brothers, the youngest of William's sons, will go on to build Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. As mentioned, Consuelo Vanderbilt was the daughter of William K. Vanderbilt and Alva Smith Vanderbilt. Alva herself was born January 17, 1853 in Mobile, Alabama and alva's family summers in newport rhode island alva remember is best friends with consuelo isnaga and jenny jerome it all comes back around in our nothing is linear but it really does all connect thread alva's sister you remember jenny smith married fernando isnaga the brother of alva's childhood best friend consuelo isnaga Consuelo Isnaga, as we know, would later become the Duchess of Manchester. Jenny, Alva's sister, would end up divorcing Fernando Isnaga and going on to marry William George Tiffany. Oh, the spiderwebs, my friends. If anyone was ever born to be an American princess, it was Consuelo Vanderbilt. Her family's great wealth, allowed her to be surrounded by a level of opulence that is really hard to imagine today. Born in the height of the Gilded Age, Consuelo lived amongst the most luxurious and privileged backdrop in America's history. Consuelo's family has a grand mansion on Fifth Avenue in New York City. They also have a palatial Long Island estate called Idle Hour. After Consuelo's grandfather dies and Her father inherits the tremendous amount of money. Her mother designs and commissions the building of Marble House in Newport, Rhode Island. Marble House, located at 596 Bellevue Avenue, best street in Newport, y'all, was Alva's pet project. She fashioned it after some of the grand palaces in Europe. And I need you to know that Marble House is not just a name. Marble House is really a marble house. The mansion was built with half a million cubic feet of marble. Marble House is approximately 140,000 square feet. All of that marble was acquired from Fall River, Massachusetts. The home has 50 rooms and requires a staff of 36. Marble House was one of the first homes to turn Newport from, what would we say, a summer cottage retreat for the rich into a summer retreat of opulent palace cottages that it will become. Alva Smith Vanderbilt changes the game here. Marble House, in theory, was her husband William's birthday present to her for her 39th birthday. The home was completed in 1892, but Marble House will become so much more than just a home. It is one year after Marble House is completed that William's older brother, Cornelius Jr., begins construction on what would ultimately be Newport's largest and grandest cottage. And I say cottage with... That's what they call them, but we're looking at massive, massive homes, y'all. Cornelius Jr. calls his summer cottage the Breakers. We have talked about some of this family competition with building projects and episodes past. Again, nothing's linear and everything's connected. Go back and check out the Vanderbilt episode specifically if you're looking for a little bit more information about this time period. The thing I want you to know is that the Tremendous grandeur of Consuelo's life was truly a gilded cage. She is given no freedom or ability to make any of her own choices. Everything about her childhood is meticulously planned, scheduled, and overseen by her, quite frankly, overbearing and social-climbing mother. From her birth, Consuelo is bred for her ultimate purpose— Which is, if you're the daughter of Alva Smith Vanderbilt, best friends to Jenny Jerome and Consuelo as Naga, your one ultimate purpose in life, if you're her kid, is to snag a royal or titled husband. Consuelo is educated, for this purpose, Consuelo is educated in European languages, arts, and culture. Her etiquette and manners training were rigorous. Because it was considered an absolute necessity for a young lady to sit and stand up perfectly straight, Consuelo was forced to wear a metal brace that goes down her spine, straps around her waist, goes over her shoulders. If that's not enough, it has another strap that then attaches around her forehead. This was meant to ensure her ladylike aristocratic posture and hopefully elongate her elegant neck, but between you and I, kind of sounds like a torture device. Consuelo has a strict course of daily lessons and a schedule that was maintained literally down to the minute. Her upbringing is so strict in so many ways. Some of them bend towards truly, truly terrible. Any minor infraction will see Consuelo whipped with a writing crop And it is between her brothers being sent away to school and her overly protective cloistering that Consuelo really does live a lonely and secluded life, albeit is one lived in splendor and luxury. So marriages have been happening over the course of time for a long time, and marriage in the Gilded Age, no different. It is, though, at this time, sort of an accepted part of wealthy marriages that husbands and sometimes wives were unfaithful. This is something that people were expected to tolerate, especially if their spouse was being relatively discreet about their affairs. However, there were a few things about William and Alva's marriage that made it a little different than other wealthy marriages of the time. See, William is not discreet, And Alva Smith Vanderbilt is not a woman who tolerates any kind of crap from anyone. Alva will shock her high Gilded Age society by divorcing William in March of 1895. Alva had spent her life social climbing and trying to outdo her extraordinarily rich wife counterparts, and quite frankly, Alva had succeeded. In her divorce, Alva receives a settlement in excess of $10 million. This is about $312 million today. Also in her settlement, she will own Marble House outright. Not a bad deal. The one trade-off though, Alva will lose the thing that she values the very, very most, which is her place in society. By divorcing her husband, Alva was essentially banished from the society that she had worked tirelessly for decades to belong to. Although divorce among the upper class was completely unacceptable, Alva really doesn't think that society would turn its back on her. She kind of believed that she was too rich and too powerful, but in this case, Alva is wrong. Women who were previously her friends would no longer acknowledge her or invite her to their parties. But, you know, we've met Alva Vanderbilt along this investigation that we're taking, and Alva is not going to accept defeat. Just like she and Consuelo Isnaga come up with that plan for the fancy ball in 1883, Alva's got another plan. She's going to plan to regain and even improve her social standing. What is this plan? It relies completely on her daughter Consuelo marrying titled aristocracy.
0: Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call. I talk to one of them; they stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous.
1: Oh my mothers, mothers, mothers. When Alva arranges for John Spencer Churchill, the ninth Duke of Marlborough, his name is Sonny, to visit for the sole purpose of arranging marriage between him and Consuelo. Everyone wants to meet the duke. So even before Consuelo weds the ninth Duke of Marlborough, Alva had won back her place in society. Once Consuelo marries the Duke and becomes the Duchess of Marlborough, Alva's place in society was cemented, locked down. Alva had accomplished her life's goal and was the envy of every mother trying to marry off their daughters to European aristocracy. And here I'd like to tell you that everything was wonderfully successful and all that jazz, but I'm not going to lie to you, because Consuelo does not want to marry the Duke of Marlborough. She's secretly engaged to someone else. Consuelo had fallen in love with Winthrop Rutherford, and Winthrop Rutherford had proposed to Consuelo. What's wrong with Winthrop? Not a darn thing. He is from a wealthy old money family, He is part of Ward McAllister's 400. Rutherford was a direct descendant of Lewis Morris, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Winthrop is also a direct descendant of Peter Stuyvesant, the last Dutch director of New Amsterdam, later New York, and was a direct descendant of John Winthrop, the first governor of Massachusetts. You would think this level of social cachet would be enough to please Mama. But for Alva, it wasn't anywhere close enough. Alva's not going to settle for anything other than a prestigious title for her daughter and the lowest title that she would accept was that of Duchess. Remember Duke and Duchess, highest of the peerage. Alva forbids the marriage between Consuelo and Winthrop and forces Consuelo to travel to Europe just to separate the two young lovers. Alva was not going to allow Consuelo to throw away her chance of marrying John Spencer Churchill and becoming the Duchess of Marlborough. Alva goes to extreme measures to accomplish her goal, to make her plan work. One of these includes locking her daughter Consuelo in her room and having a footman always stand guard outside Consuelo's door so she cannot leave. This also includes reading all of Consuelo's incoming and outgoing correspondences to ensure that Consuelo is not writing Rutherford or receiving letters from him. When Consuelo still protested and complained, Alva announced that she would shoot Winthrop Rutherford if they did manage to elope. Alva's final manipulation, and wow, this is evil, was faking a heart attack and blaming it on her daughter's disobedience. Consuelo will give in to her mother's threats and control tactics and relents. On the morning of the wedding, Consuelo was never left alone for one single second because Alva fears that Consuelo would take that opportunity to run away. Alva Vanderbilt had achieved her dream, at least. Her daughter was marrying a duke, and Alva was now back in a position of power in society. Her company was sought after now more than ever because her daughter was now a titled aristocrat. Queen Victoria herself even sent a congratulatory telegram. The tremendous but newly acquired wealth of many American industrialist families was impressive, but it could not buy them the power and prominence they longed for. Many members of the European aristocracy had the exact opposite problem the English aristocracy was especially in need of vast amounts of money to restore their expansive and palatial country estates and infuse their families with much-needed cash. This was a perfect transaction. The money-poor English aristocrats could provide the desired titles, prominence, and status to the extraordinarily wealthy New Money American families. In exchange, those extraordinarily wealthy families would provide the English aristocracy with the money they needed. This transaction would take place in the form of a marriage and dowry. These American families were doing little more than selling their daughters to men who did not love them in order to elevate their social status. The English aristocracy were selling their titles and prestige to the highest bidder. Consuelo Vanderbilt marries John Spencer Churchill, 9th Duke of Marlborough, in New York City, on November the 6th, 1895. To ensure that nothing ruined the master plan, remember Alva locked Consuelo in a room. Before the wedding, she had someone standing outside the door in case of escape. Consuelo would later write that she was grateful for such a large veil because her face and eyes were swollen. From having spent the entire morning crying. Because Consuelo, y'all, is not the only one in love with another person. Her future groom, her groom now, Sonny, is also in love at the time of his marriage. He's in love with and wished to marry Muriel Wilson, who is a beautiful and accomplished member of British high society. Sonny tells Consuelo on the night of their wedding that he had to give up the woman he loved to marry her in order to save Blenheim Palace. Blenheim Palace, built in between 1705-1722, is named after the 1704 Battle of Blenheim. The home was originally meant as a gift to John Churchill, the first Duke of Marlborough, in appreciation for his military victories in the War of Spanish Secession. Today, Blenheim Palace is a national monument, and a UNESCO World Heritage Site. A lot of notable things happen at Blenheim Palace, just giving you a little bit of dish there. Despite the couple's unhappiness, however, the couple will produce two sons. John Spencer Churchill, Marquess of Blandford, was born in 1897. John Spencer Churchill will later become the 10th Duke of Marlborough. Lord Ivor was born in 1898. Other than producing heirs, the marriage was useful because the income from Consuelo's dowry would guarantee that Blenheim Palace would be saved for future generations. While it was long thought that the Duke was the only unfaithful spouse in this marriage, it is now known that Consuelo was unfaithful with her prior love, Winthrop Rutherford. She's also unfaithful even with the Duke's own cousin. The couple's great-grandson wrote a biography of the Duke and discusses a letter the family found that revealed the Duke's anguish about Consuelo's affairs. The letter revealed in the biography, The Churchill Who Saved Blenheim, The Life of Sonny, Ninth Duke of Marlborough, by Michael Waterhouse. This is the great-grandson of Sonny and Consuelo. This letter does claim that Consuelo was just as guilty of infidelity as her husband it also shows that Sonny was far kinder to Consuelo than her autobiography, The Glitter and the Gold, portrayed him to be. This letter was a bombshell that was written by Sonny to the lawyer and liberal MP Richard Haldane, where Sonny asked for advice regarding the, quote, present melancholy and difficult situation, unquote, he found himself in. The Duke claims that Consuelo, told him a few years into the marriage about her love and devotion to Winthrop Rutherford and that she wished to elope with him. The devastated Duke, feeling desperate about the situation and feeling regret at realizing how forced Consuelo was to marry him, reluctantly agreed to let Consuelo pursue her desire to elope with Rutherford. Michael Waterhouse said, Reading it today, almost 120 years later after it was written, it is impossible not to feel the Duke's anguish or admire his dignified efforts to do the right thing by his adulterous young wife. Rutherford had come back into Consuelo's life three years into her marriage, and the two of them spend two weeks in Paris together. The Duke's second wife, her name is Gladys Deacon, will tell the author that Ivor, the second son of Consuelo and Sonny, was the result of two nights in Paris with an American. The couple's oldest son, Lord Blandford, who becomes the 10th Duke of Marlborough, was a large man and resembled the Churchills. The second son, Ivor, however, was a much smaller man and did not resemble the Churchill family at all. He looked quite a bit like Consuelo, but you can also see a possible resemblance to Winthrop Rutherford. After Winthrop Rutherford declined to elope with Consuelo, she was devastated, and she will tell Sonny, her husband, that she had no alternative but to stay with him. The Duke was understandably unhappy about the whole situation and decided to go with his cousin, Winston Churchill, to the South African War, this is the Anglo-Boer War, to assist in the British efforts. He was gone for six months. Upon the Duke's return in July of 1900, Consuelo told him that she had become attached to someone while he was away. The man she had become attached to was Frederick Guest, the Duke's cousin. Consuelo had been living with Frederick Guest at Blenheim Palace while Sonny was away. A little bit of a spiderweb here. Frederick Guest is the father-in-law of C.Z. Guest, one of Truman Capote's famous swans, There were other infidelities on Consuelo's part, including another of the Duke's cousin, Lord Castlereagh, heir to the Marquis of Londonbury, with whom she went to Paris for several weeks without notifying the Duke. This letter certainly causes some skepticism about the truthfulness of her account of the marriage in her biography, where she presented herself as a victim of the Duke's philandering. No one, however, Doubts that Consuelo was miserable and never wished at all to be married to the Duke. Other than their two sons, the marriage of Consuelo Vanderbilt and the Ninth Duke of Marlborough was a disaster, a complete disaster. Neither ever loved the other and neither were ever happy in the marriage. In 1901, Sonny will fall in love with Gladys Deacon. It is highly likely that Consuelo encourages this relationship. Again, neither spouse was happy, and if Sonny was in a loving relationship with Gladys, it would allow Consuelo more freedom and for both of them to be happier. Both the Duke and Consuelo wanted a divorce, but in order to do that, the Duke would have to prove infidelity on Consuelo's part, which he could do, but he was unwilling to do because of the notoriety It would bring to the family. The other option was for Consuelo to prove physical cruelty and infidelity or desertion and non support on his part. Sonny had not been physically cruel. He hadn't deserted her or refused to support her. And even if he had, the family's reputation was too important for them to make those public accusations. Finally, in 1907, the couple was granted a legal separation. Consuelo summarizes this decision in her memoir. We had been married 11 years. Life together had not brought us closer together. The couple's sons at this time were eight and nine years old. The couple agrees to share custody of the boys, but Consuelo was not allowed to bring them to the United States until they were 21 years old. Consuelo and the boys move into the palatial Sunderland house in London, while Sonny stays at Blenheim Palace. In 1918, the British government requisitioned Sunderland House for war purposes, and Consuelo moves into a townhome in Portland Place with her younger son, Lord Ivor. Sunderland House was reportedly sold to Lord Marmaduke Furness. This is the husband of Telma Furness. Let's go ahead and throw in a few spiderwebs about Telma Furness. We've talked about her before. She is the sister. Of Gloria Vanderbilt. Remember, Gloria Vanderbilt is the mother of our young Gloria Vanderbilt. Thelma Furness, also a Viscountess from her marriage to Marmaduke. So, Sunderland House. Perhaps Lord Marmaduke Furness buys it. Perhaps someone else. It stopped being a private residence in the 1930s. And after being damaged by bombs in World War II, it was demolished. Consuelo will live in a few other country homes during her separation and divorce, eventually moving to Paris and living in several different stately mansions. Whether Lord Furness or someone else purchased Sunderland, it stopped being a private residence in the 1930s. The couple had little contact with each other during the years of legal separation. Sonny went on happily living with Gladys Deacon and Letters between them, they unkindly referred to Consuelo as OT, which stands for old tart. A divorce was finally granted to Sonny and Consuelo in 1921 after seven years of legal and physical separation. After the divorce was granted, the Duke wrote, Thank heavens, it is all over. The last blow that woman could strike over a period of some 20 years has now fallen. Dear me, What a wrecking existence she would have imposed on anyone with whom she was associated. During her separation from the Duke, Consuelo continued to lead an active social life. She kept good relationships with many of the Churchill relatives and continued an extremely close relationship with her favorite Churchill cousin, Winston. The two would see each other often throughout the remainder of their lives. Consuelo was also heavily involved in several charitable efforts throughout her entire adult life. She was interested and involved in the charities and organizations that work to help the conditions for women and children living in difficult financial, working, or living situations. During World War I, Consuelo was instrumental in the American Women's War Relief Fund. During and between both world wars, Consuelo worked tirelessly to build and improve hospitals for low- to middle-class patients. During her marriage and after, Consuelo ran homes for wives of prisoners who would otherwise be homeless during their spouse's incarceration. She worked with charities for unwed and impoverished mothers as well. She and Winaretta Singer Polonac worked together to build Falk Hospital, a nonprofit hospital and nursing school in a suburb of Paris. Bach Hospital is still ranked one of the top hospitals in France. Consuelo also helped with her mother's extensive efforts for women's suffrage. I know, Alva gets really involved in the women's suffrage movement. In addition to helping her mama out, Consuelo will also work to improve the working wage for women in factories. Throughout her life, she's actively involved in the Red Cross. One interesting project Consuelo works with the Red Cross on was finding job placements for the near 400,000 servants that became unemployed when the mansions were shut down or given over to the government to become hospitals or offices during the World Wars. Oh, but I love this part of the story. Love does come back around for our Consuelo, but it doesn't come easy. Louis-Jacques Balsan was from a strongly Catholic family. And now, because Consuelo is a divorced woman, she and Balsan could marry legally, but not marry in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church will not acknowledge a legal marriage because of her divorced status. This was not an obstacle to their personal happiness, but it did cause some family tension for Balsan because his family would not acknowledge his marriage or receive Consuelo until their marriage was formally acknowledged and blessed by the Catholic Church. Consuelo and Balsan's marriage could not be acknowledged by the Catholic Church without an annulment from the Vatican from her first marriage. Ironically, it was the Duke that actually had requested the marriage be annulled because he wished to convert to Roman Catholicism but it also allowed Consuelo's marriage to be acknowledged by the Balsan family. By the time that Consuelo wanted to annul her first marriage, her mother had mellowed quite a great deal and was living a much happier life herself with her second husband. And in a show of remorse or motherly love or maybe just an attempt for redemption, Alva Vanderbilt decides to help her daughter Consuelo obtain an annulment. One of the only valid reasons to qualify for an annulment is that one of the parties were forced to get married against their will, which would render them unable to make a sincere commitment to a lifelong marriage. Obviously, Consuelo Vanderbilt falls into this category, having been forced to marry the Duke of Marlborough by her mother, Alva recognizes this and full-on takes responsibility, admits it in the annulment proceedings, acknowledging her coercion and control over her daughter at the time of her marriage. Consuelo and Jacques Balsan were wed on July the 4th, 1921, shortly after Consuelo acquires a legal divorce from the Duke of Marlborough. Her first marriage was annulled in 1926, which will allow Jacques Balsan and Consuelo to marry again in a Catholic ceremony. Jacques Balsan was a French lieutenant colonel in the cavalry and an aviation balloon enthusiast who had once worked for the Wright brothers. He was also a textile manufacturing heir, which was the source of his wealth. The Balsans lived in France, dividing their time between Paris and their country home on the Riviera. Later, they would purchase and renovate a chateau in Normandy. Consuelo would build a hospital on that property to care for sick children and young tuberculosis patients. By all accounts, Consuelo's marriage to Balsan and life in France was blissfully happy. The couple became aware of a Nazi plot to kidnap them as they would be considered valuable prisoners, the couple barely escaped France, fleeing to Spain and Portugal before returning to the United States. Back in the United States, the couple lived in what Consuelo called quiet splendor, quote In 1953, she will publish her autobiography, The Glitter and the Gold, where she described her life in first marriage as the glitter and her life with Balsan as the gold. The couple had a home in Manhattan, a mansion in Oyster Bay, Long Island. They also bought a villa they named Casa Alva in 1956 to use as their winter headquarters in Palm Beach, Florida. Sadly, Jacques Balsan would die before they could spend their first winter there. In 1956, Consuelo doesn't just lose her husband Jacques, but also her son Ivor. Ivor was buried in the churchyard at St. Martin's Church, Oxfordshire, England. Jacques Balsan was buried in France. After burying her husband and young son, Consuelo returned to the United States. She will purchase an estate in Southampton and now as an 80-year-old widow, immediately throws herself into renovating and decorating the home, as well as improving the grounds and gardens. Consuelo will live out the rest of her days in her Southampton estate. She enjoys her family and friends, and develops an especially close bond with her granddaughter, Sarah Consuelo Churchill. Consuelo Vanderbilt, Spencer Churchill Balsan, died on December sixth, 1964 at the age of 87 in Southampton, New York. She chose to be buried next to her son Ivor at St. Martin's Churchyard in England near Blenheim Palace. Of all the millions that her father left to her, and the millions given as her dowry many years earlier, only $2 million remained when Consuelo died. The bulk of her estate was split between her grandchildren. In 2019, Consuelo's final home, that estate in Southampton, was listed for sale with the asking price of $28 million. Oh, Consuelo, the glitter and the gold! That is the last of our American girls in this trio of holiday episodes. We're going to be back next week with a few more American girls, kind of splitting that up for y'all investigators. If you need more done and done in the meantime, come check us out over at patreon.com slash done and done. I've got a banger of a not done yet episode about all of the spider webs left within our trio of episodes this week. It's going to get dishy. It's going to get juicy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you one and all for tuning in and listening today. I can't tell you how grateful I am for each and every one of you. Until we meet again, friends, I hope you have a merry and bright. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with others. And as always, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done Podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.